You're listening to a podcast created by the Jack's Way Collective. We're a group of friends who like to talk about philosophy, fiction, and whatever else is on our minds. Thank you very much for listening. Now let's get to the show. Anyways, here we are. We have made it. Gordon, I had no idea. I thought it was 5.30 a.m. for you, not 4.30. So even more props to you for uh, waking up this early. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Oh, yes, my pleasure. It was a struggle, but I made it. <laughs> You'll also notice that we we never talk to the audience as if we have one. We mainly, uh, you know, just talk to ourselves. And just, it's, you know. like, <laughs> it's like fly on the wall documentary style <laughs> podcast. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, Oliver, so I think because this is your pick, tell us a little bit about the author, how you came across them, what the specific story is that we're reading, and why you chose it uh, for the podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a lot. So take your time. I guess I'll just talk about how I found her, because I don't really know much about her background. Okay. Who is, um, who is she? She's an American novelist. She kind of worked during, like, 40s, 50s, 60s. I found her by reading J.F. Powers. And he really liked Flannery O'Connor. So I thought I'd uh, jump in and give her work a read. Had you read any other of her stories before Before this one? one? Yeah, because I have that short story collection, right? And this story is kind of near the end. So I've worked through a chunk of her stories. Okay. And so uh, just kind of brief impression, how is this one matched up to the rest of those in that book? I think it's one of the better ones. Because the, the way the book is structured is her earlier stories are in the, the beginning and then her later ones are at the end. Hmm. Okay. And the name of the uh, short story is? It's Everything That Rises Must Converge. Okay, perfect. So uh, I, guess, I guess we'll get right into it. Um, I have way less of an idea of how to approach talking about a short story than I would a philosophy or uh, just more academic book. So um, I don't know, maybe I'll just kind of open the floor to both of you. Maybe give me your first impressions um, and maybe some initial reads on the characters. Um, and then hopefully we'll find some launching off points from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with you, Gordon. Well, uh, I first approached this text. Of course, I, I had to do some research for this session. I, I did a basic Google search. There were some Spark notes and uh, some eNotes websites. So this text was widely circulated, I think, and a, a lot of high school kids read it, apparently. And I know it is about racism. And so I, I also did a little research. It, it was uh, published in the 65, 1965, which coincided with the civil rights movement at the time. So with these information and expectations, I go into it. It, it, it is a text about race. Black and, right, uh, black and white racial relations in America. And Oliver, why pick this text? <laughs> Did you know that it was about uh, race before you picked it? Because I, I, had, I had no mm-hmm. idea. Not really. I kind of went into it blind. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so personally, I... Well, actually, I, I thought both of the characters were actually... Oh, and I'm talking specifically about Julian and the mother. Um, mm. I thought <clears> that they were both... Uh, quite despicable people. Yeah. Both of them. And actually on the second read through, I found myself Idiot. really, really disliking Julian yeah. even more than the mother. 
But yeah, I, I don't know, Oliver, what is your initial yeah. read on these two? Did it change on subsequent readings? Uh, let's see yeah. what you thought about the main characters. I was just thinking, actually, should we just go over a quick little summary of what happened in the story? Yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay. Go ahead and uh, uh, right. give a quick, quick I'll summary. Try to take, I'll try to take a stab at this, but you guys can feel free to interrupt. Cool. Okay. So the character or the story involves two characters or two main characters, Julian and Julian's mother. And they kind of live in this poor working class neighborhood. And every Wednesday she's going to this reducing class to lose weight at the Y because, because of her blood pressure. They get on the bus and then there's, um, wait, first Julian's mother like refuses to ride the bus at well, night. Basically just segregation had just been lifted at this time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And then Julian is like kind of really bitter throughout the whole process. He's it's, um, it's like a, a burden for him to, to tag along. And then, so they get on the bus and then that's kind of when, that's kind of where the main meat of the story occurs. Do you guys want to take us, take it from here? <laughs> the only thing I would add, and then Gordon, you want to finish off the rest of the summary is that Julian is a college. new college grad. Right, and right, he's right. kind of in that liberal <clears throat> state that the, the three of us <laughs> have been in. Well, especially uh, Oliver and I, um, where you kind of don't know what you're doing next. You've just graduated and you are kind of, you know, living at home. You don't know what the hell to do. You have all this uh, knowledge or irrelevant knowledge, whatever you want to call it. Um, And uh, uh, instead of acting, uh, Julian becomes a kind of depressive, resentful, um, um, stay at home kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Anyways, go on, Gordon. Maybe you want to go pick it up from the bus and move, move forward. I actually have a question for you guys. Sure. So Oliver mentioned in the beginning of the story, it is established that Julian's mother is going to this weight reduction class. So what do you guys think is this metaphor of weight reduction? Is there a metaphor there? Wow, uh, that's interesting because there was two. I also would have a question about that and also maybe the significance of the hat that they buy at the beginning as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Those are two things that uh, I personally have no conclusions on. Um, yeah. Her, what is she trying to do? She is trying to make a change in her life uh, that is losing weight um, and acting on it. And so kind of in a way, she is the one who's, who's actively uh, uh, looking to make a change in her life. Whereas Julian is the character that uh, is more, I don't know, lazy or slothful and kind of has nothing of his own that he's working on in terms of his own personal development. But I'm not sure what the specific class at the Y or the specific weight loss would uh, represent or if it's a metaphor for anything else. Uh, What do you think, Oliver? I think, I'm just thinking about it now. I think it's almost like she's, she's not, she's like, I guess, encouraged to to lose the weight in order to be healthy. And I think that's almost a metaphor for her views in regards to like this whole integration, right? She has to change in order to be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she has to shed, shed some of the, the her old views, conceptions. Yeah. Her, her kind of biases, her, you know, her own kind of, you know, resentments towards whatever the old way was. So in a way that she has to mentally change, maybe the physical change mm-hmm. uh, would be the metaphor there. Um, what do you, what do you think, Gordon? And I think uh, an interesting point you raised was that he, uh, she, the Julian's mother did not volunteer, like do this on volunteer basis. 
she was told by her doctor、mm, to do it.、Point. So her doctor is almost like this authority, like the state. It is a state-enforced change that she had to comply with, whether she liked it or not. And、uh, about her weight, she's this fat lady, which reminds me of this、uh, this character、uh, in、uh, in Harry Potter, like his uncle or. <laughs> Or his th- that family in general is just like so super fat, self-absorbed, arrogant, ignorant, <laughs> and、uh, they have to, like you said, shed some biases or kind of curb your privileges <laughs> type of situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think you're.、Uh, I think you're onto something there. Um, um,、uh, any add-ons to that, Oliver? Hmm. I think I think that's the right I- idea that we're taking that, or the right direction we're taking that idea. Um. Should we try and finish like what the rest of what happens on in the story? Okay,、um, yeah, I'll basically just give a quick, broad run through. So she, basically, Julian has to accompany his mother to the YMCA via bus, and the bus is now just opened up to be fully integrated between black and white people.、Um, and so basically, the rest of the story takes place on the bus, and the interactions between.、Um, Generally, the white people and black people on the bus, but more specifically, Julian's and Julian's mother's interactions with specific black characters on the bus,、um, and it leads to a climax where a black woman who is wearing the same hat as Julian's mother shows up on the bus with her child, and、um, when they get off of the bus, Julian's mother tries to give a Uh, penny to the young black child, like she had done before.、Um, it, before、uh, integration was the norm, and she gets some serious backlash from the black mother, and、um, she ends up totally abandoning her trip to the Y. And Julian, the whole time, is looking to get some sort of revenge on his mother. And now that it has been served to her, he kind of does not really get. The reaction or response from his mother that he would have wanted beforehand, and the 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 story kind of ends when Julian makes this kind of realization where he's finally getting what he or his mother has finally gotten what he wants her to get,、um, but the outcome of that has not panned out the way that he wanted.、Mm-hmm. Nice.、Um, yeah, I won't give any more specifics. You really should read the、uh, the story before you. Um, listen to the podcast. It's very short. It's only ten pages, but、um, yeah, that's a brief overview. And、um, yeah, I think I think that's enough for us to work within. Before I, I kind of have two main things I want to bring up. One, my main point I won't bring up until midway through the podcast.、Uh, I would like to talk a little bit more about the individual characters and what I think of them.、Um, but first,、uh, do we have anything to say about a the hat that she wears at the beginning of the story? Or B, the significance of the fact that the black woman who comes on the bus also has the same hat on.、Mm-hmm. I don't have any. I don't have any、uh, ideas about this one. Yeah, I'm. I'm still trying to kind of figure that out because it was like it's foreshadowed throughout the story, right?、Uh, on the first page, you can see that foreshadowing. Oh, where she says, "At least I at least won't meet myself coming and going." In regards to the hat, in regards to the hat. Wow, I didn't catch that. That's good. That's good. And then it's again on the second page. With that hat, you won't meet yourself coming and going. So, is it like her double? Yeah,、uh, because I don't know. I thought it was. It, it would be a kind of mirror image if the.、Uh, of course, they're wearing the same hat, 
but the childs of these two women who have the same hat are actually very different. And so there's not a direct mirror image. Yeah, I'm not sure where else to take this. The foreshadowing is a good catch. Yeah, even the way that the hat is described, I kind of got a hard, I couldn't really grasp what the hat even really looks like. It says a purple velvet flap came down on one side of it and stood up on the other. The rest of it was green and looked like a cushion with the stuffing out. Do you have any ideas about the kind of hat that this is? No, it, the description just sounds grotesque. It just looks like a disgusting, ridiculous hat to me. <laughs> yeah, just something hideous, big, colorful, and, you know, just ridiculous, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the hat is irrelevant. Uh, but I'm sure that there's something behind the fact that the black woman has the exact same hat as well. Mm -hmm. Well, in the beginning, when I first read about the hat, uh, I, I think that it is what people would call it as a phobogenic object, like this object that induces fear or discomfort or displeasure into people. And it seems that the mother herself hates this hat and Julian as well. But the strange thing is nobody addresses this issue openly. And instead, it just, it just goes the way it is, despite everyone just hating on this hat. So I wonder, is it, is it like a label or some sort of metaphor for racism? And of course, later in the bus, this, this is partly answered by, you know, this, this mirror image thing that Oliver mentioned with the black lady wearing the same hat. Interesting. What do you think? Um, go on, Oliver. Hmm. Was it an expensive hat? Like I wasn't really able to, yes, to gauge. I think it was. Yeah, um, I think it was. Something. $7, which was the same cost as her utility bill for the month. Right. Um, I got the sense that they weren't that well off of a family. Um, so uh, that taken into account as well, I get the sense that this was a kind of extravagant purchase for her. Yeah. So maybe if the black lady was wearing the same hat and then she gets super pissed off with the content, like the, the penny, maybe it's mm -hmm. like she's almost better off like financially than perhaps. Yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. Totally possible. And this is the, uh, I've never heard of this term before, the phobogenic object. Yes. Is this uh, uh, psychoanalysis or something? Yeah, exactly. I encountered this term when I was uh, reading about, oh, who, who is this French and he's black? Oh, who, who wrote the black skin, white masks? Fanon. Right. It was Fanon, yes. He, he's the uh, black French psychoanalyst and he wrote a lot on race. And this is where I encountered the term. The black people as a phobogenic object in the dominant white culture. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, what do you talk about the the hat? And you seem to put some sort of uh, like monetary value, or it, it is a symbol of wealth or possession, or some sort of uh, possession of property. And uh, I think this ties into uh, maybe we can get into that uh, discussion yeah. about identity that the mother brings up frequently. Yeah. She right. said, oh, you, um, you know yourself. And it seems that her, her idea of identity is based on family heritage, their wealth and their possession. And this wow. actually has to do with something, uh, I mean, it's to do with that. Let me say two things. One, when you talk about the monetary value of the hat, maybe there is some sort of, this is uh, kind of back to the initial discussion. The fact that both the black woman and the white woman can afford the same kind of extravagant hat is maybe some sort of symbol of them finally being on equal footing, uh, at mm -hmm. least in this specific aspect, which might be kind of foreign to a lot of the white characters in the story. Like, oh, wow, like these, these people, 
can even consume things uh, uh, at the same level as we can. So maybe that's one way to represent the kind of growing level of equality. Um, so that's the kind of, I don't think that that's that profound or anything like that. That's a kind of very simple interpretation. But anyways, per your uh, uh, comments on identity, this is one of the first things I wanted to bring up as well. I agree with you that the mother's identity is very much rooted in uh, uh, identifying with a kind of family heritage. Um, she goes on about the old family house um, and, uh, you know, moving on and continuing the, I don't remember their actual last name. What was their last name? There was two of them. I wasn't sure which one was hers. It started it was with like a C, Ches- Chesney. And there was Godhighs, but I don't know which. Godhighs. Right. Okay. So whichever it was, she's very concerned I thought it was the Chesney because it says all of her life had been a struggle to act like a Chesney um, and to give him everything she thought a Chesney ought to have without the goods a Chesney ought to have. Anyways, the reason I wanted to respond to it is that basically I thought that the mother's conception of the self and her personal identity is something that's very fixed and rigid that is, again, uh, uh, rooted in uh, her family identity, which is something that I would actually disagree with. I think that your personal identity should be a kind of ongoing, ever-changing, and uh, ever-revising process, whereas she is so set on this notion of a fixed self, where she literally will say that you remain what you are, is what she says on page two. So she's making a kind of essentialist claim that we have these uh, uh, maybe essences and this is the way that is going to dictate who it is we are and how it is that we act in the world. And yeah, how we treat other other people, how, where we are in society or what our social role is, is supposed to or ought to interact with other people and other people in society. And so I think that this conception of such a rigid and fixed self for her is one of the reasons she has such a hard time dealing with the removal of segregation because just as she has this fixed sense of self she has the same sense when it comes to other people so the thought of black people emancipating themselves and somehow moving up in the hierarchy of society is so foreign to her because to her everything is in its place and everyone has their fixed position in society um so when that changes that's what makes her so uh, opposed to it yeah because on page two there's that quote she says with the world in the mess it's in, it's a wonder we can enjoy anything. I tell you, the bottom rail is on the top. So it's, again, like you were saying, the status quo has been ruptured, right? Yeah, exactly. And so the whole way through the uh, story, she's basically making comments as well. On page four, she says, it's in the heart. And in how you do things and how you do things is because of who you are. So yeah, I, again, I think that this is something that she needs to revise if she's really going to um, be able to adapt to the changing times around her. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree on the essentialism part because I, I picked that up uh, in my reading as well. But the interesting thing is the, the short story itself kind of disputed this claim already because on page three, she contradicted herself by saying, oh, um, we, uh, in the beginning, she said, oh, we have this uh, amazing family, this amazing history, and this defines who we are. And then later on, she said, oh, they were in reduced circumstances, but reduced or not, they never forgot who they were. So 
there is a contradiction here. So you, 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 uh, she's saying, okay, people are defined by their wealth, but later, even in, in decline, they were still who they were. Okay, so then what defines a person then? So she's saying you're rich and, or you're poor, but you're the same person. So there is a contradiction. Maybe that's her just trying to rationalize it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably her trying to rationalize it. But the author herself is trying to, she probably wants us to recognize that contradiction and see where the mother herself is wrong, right? Mm. Yeah, I don't know anything else on uh, uh, that, Oliver. Um, and also maybe a follow-up question for you and Gordon as well. Uh, uh, how do you think that Julian approaches this sense of self uh, in contrast? I was, I actually wrote down in my notes, I think there's a big distinction between what Julian says and what he thinks throughout the story. Um, because throughout the story, Julian, he dozes off into these daydreams where he too kind of longs for this high class. He longs to be back in the old mansion, right? Yeah. But what, right. He, what he says, he, he almost tries to be like above her in a way where he's, he just has this contempt for her, her views, right? But that's what he says, but not necessarily what he thinks. But he, he liked the old house for a different reason from her mother, right? That, that is also a key. What was the reason that he liked the old house? I remember how he said uh, on page three, he said he preferred that threadbare elegance to anything he could name because it was... Because of it, that all the neighborhoods they had lived in had been a torment to him. Where she know had no difference. Um, uh, it was in the middle of page three. Well, the first of all, the mother stresses that uh, division between the first floor and the second floor. The first floor were what was where the the Negroes and the, uh, the, uh, cooked the meals in the kitchen. And the second floor was, was the living room where, where she lived, of course. And she said she would always like to go down to the first floor and smell at the walls where the flavor of the food have sealed in. But on the other hand, Julian liked the house was because she, uh, he would stand on the wide porch listening to the rustle of oak leaves, then wander through the high ceiling hall into the pallor open onto it and gaze at the worn rugs and faded draperies. So it seems that Julian liked this place for a totally different reason than uh, the mother. What do you think? I kind of interpreted that as almost like he's, he's kind of snobby almost in a way because he writes, or not, he, it says, it occurred to him that it was he, not she, who could have appreciated it. And then um, later on in the story, on page five, he talks about how small-minded she was and like how, how he got a first-rate education in spite of being... Right. Um, I remember that part too. Uh, uh, to respond to that and then to kind of shift a little bit as well, um, two observations. One, this is the low-hanging fruit. Uh, quite obvious that the the... Well, two things. One, the mother seems to like the house itself, whereas Julian seems to be concerned with where the house is situated yeah, and the kind of environment around the house, um, whereas the mother is concerned with the actual house itself, the setup of it. And also, um, I just thought I'd point out, again, this is very easy to point out, but 
the hierarchy of society is also reflected in the fact that the white people are living on the top floor and the black people are living on the bottom floor. Um, mm. So that's, uh, uh, again, um, pretty easy observation, but there's some, you know, clear hierarchy being, you know, signified in the house itself as well. And so as the mother has lost the house and the hierarchy of the house, she has also lost her place in the hierarchy outside of the house as well. As for your point on the small mind, Oliver, I think I'm going to now give you guys my argument, my kind of main point of uh, what I would want to argue throughout the entire story. And that is basically just me just rambling on about my resentment for Julian and the kind of divide between how he sees himself and how I see him. Um, and then maybe that would be a good transition from talking about the individual characters and then talking about maybe the, the dynamic between them and specifically their interactions with each other on the bus and after they get off of it. Basically, to set this up, I want you guys both to remember, uh, this is going to seem like a dead left field, but do you remember Eve Sedgwick's concept of the erotic triangle? Oh, yeah. So um, mm. basically, just for our non-existent audience to understand, the, this is she's a, a film scholar, feminist film scholar, who points to certain media texts um, involving a love triangle between a female and two male characters. And again, just a kind of rough idea of the theory is the fact that the although the two male characters throughout the movie at first glance are pursuing the female, the actual crux of the dynamic is within the power struggle um, between the two males and the female is instead just a vehicle for these two men to, to engage in a kind of one-upsmanship against each other. And so it's actually the male bond that is the strongest and most heated more so than either of the males bonds with the specific female in the story. So basically I want to take that same conceptual framework and apply it to this story, Julian his mother, and their relationship with the black characters in the story. I would argue that, uh, especially Julian, but you know, taken as a whole, these two are actually just uh, competing against each other and using the black characters in the story as a vehicle to further their conflict rather than actually engaging with the black characters themselves. So... Julian, I think, is the most guilty of this because the whole way through the story, you're basically seeing him talk about him wanting to interact with the black characters. He wants one to sit next to him on the bus um, or he wants, you know, the, the black woman to act in a certain way towards the mother. But you can see his motives in the story that clearly he doesn't really care about the black characters. They are still, in a way, invisible to him. He merely wants them as a means to win this kind of argument or, you know, conflict he has with his mother. And so the whole way he is talking about how his mother is this overtly racist person, which, you know, of course she is, but his kind of racism is much more sinister where he's using the black characters as a way to simply win in a conflict against 
is not although he claims to be this kind of progressive open-minded uh, uh pro integration character he is acting in ways that is making them kind of irrelevant because instead he's using them as a mere means to uh, further his conflict so to point to a couple of quotes page three it says when he got on a bus by himself he made a point to sit down beside a negro in reparation as it were for his mother's sins later on it says when talking about his mother there was an there was in him an evil urge to break her spirit and he does this by he really wants the black the black man to sit next to him on the bus or the the black woman to come and sit near near him as well and he kind of gets off at the fact that his mother is extremely uncomfortable or the glares that she gives him so and again page 5 i think is the main quote i want to highlight near the bottom of the page it says it gave him a certain satisfaction to see injustice in daily operation it confirmed his view that with few exceptions there was no one worth knowing within a radius of 300 miles so i guess like that and then finally on page 6 it says having got the advantage he wanted to desperately keep it and carry it through so uh, i'm not really pointing to any specific quotes for their wording but uh, there's a kind of through line of him engaging in this kind of power battle with his mother using the black characters as a way um, to further that so that's my kind of erotic triangle um plastering on this situation what do you guys think of that I I I think I think it is it is a great comparison and you're really you're so right on that uh Julian is using this black person to further his own agenda right he he he's trying to establish some sort of moral high ground over his mother to prove that he he is right and yeah indeed it, it is like an argument going on between Julian and his mother both representing a contradicting viewpoint like a like a traditional Hegelian dialectic. I think you also talk about that in your last podcast, right? The dialectic yeah. method. Yeah, something related, but um we'll we'll see. It's uh, Julian and his mother actually represents two type of philosophical thinking in the past. So what we touched upon the key word was essentialism, which uh, represented by Julian's mother, and that is actually a uh, really traditional aristotelian thinking which is uh, something is or somebody simply is something a being has an essence an essential quality of being something but the contradicting viewpoint is heidegger the heideggerian philosophy is huge on existentialism so because heidegger thinks that there is no such thing as essence and existence comes before essence and he's more concerned about the being of being that means there is a history in being someone is not just like simply is something but then there is a history it 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 develops into something so taking this back to the contradiction between julian and his mother and kind of just opposing that to the argument with black history and black identity and civil rights movement I think there is something there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. What would I say about that? Uh the best example that I have heard is the the you know the sensation when you look at a word or you look at it for so long that the word becomes kind of foreign to you, it seems to lose all of its 
uh, meaning and all of a sudden it just looks like a kind of scramble of letters. Is this phenomena ever happened to either of you? I know what, Do you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I guess this, uh, this is a phenomenon that can happen with words and it can happen as well um, with kind of objects in the world as well. There where you just kind of, its meaning is stripped away and in a way it's kind of essence what makes it what it is its essential properties become kind of you know unrecognizable and instead it just kind of exists in its own right right so it's actually this it's it's the fact that it exists is something that precedes any sort of uh, uh, essential properties or anything like that that we would ascribe to it after the fact that uh, it exists. So the the meaning or the essences are, at least in this sense, something that we are plastering onto these things that already exist. So anyways, to uh, just kind of allow, to bring it back to the story, I guess, you're right, the mother kind of thinks that it's the essence, it is the place in society, it is the, you are this type of person, this is where you belong, that is what comes first. Whereas instead, existentialists, they're like, no, 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 you exist in this world and you have absolute freedom to kind of create your own essences because the essences themselves are socially constructed. Anyways, uh, uh, that's pretty much all I had to say. Basically, you know, the, the kind of essentialist notion is more in line with the mother's fixed sense of identity and, you know, the actions that uh, she takes throughout the story, as well as her um, ideas of the ways that society should be organized. Um, all kind of follow that essentialist um, notion, whereas the existentialist approach is more, you know, things can change, things are constantly evolving. You know, you can will certain things in and out of existence because any sort of essences are things that we have as humans imposed on them, and therefore they can be unimposed or changed in, in ways. I wonder, though, if it's actually Julian that has this essentialist view on life and the mother has this existentialist view because she she says throughout the story that rome wasn't built in a day in regards to his writing right Mm -hmm. and but he says on page one it says that he knows he would never make money right that he'd be stuck in this his current situation yeah you're right so so the kind of attitudes that they have towards maybe life in general kind of contradict that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's a great point actually um, because Julian's very defeatist, right? He's like, yeah. Oh no, like there's nothing for me. He, he's the one who is not acting, right? He's the one who's the depressive living at home and uh, uh, not making it, you know, having any initiative or moving forward in any way. Um, so although his views on society might be, you know, something that would fall in line with a more ever-changing, constantly revising world. His own attitudes and his own behaviors in his personal life completely contradict that, which is, I think, mm-hmm. what just makes him even more of a, a <laughs> shitty character, to be honest. Yeah. Gordon, anything to add? Well, maybe we can segue into Julian's character then, because I, th- mm-hmm. I, I think um, Julian is just, yeah, it seems that his, he spent his entire life <laughs> resenting his mother, yeah. and also part, uh, in part himself as well. It seems like, oh, everything he's owned is from his mother, which, is, which comes from something injustice. And he just cannot deal with the fact that what he got comes from this 
uh, inheritance of slavery and injustices that he he just hates himself basically maybe that that is part of the reason why he's not acting on anything at all what do you think can you go first Oliver originally when I read it I interpreted it um, like he was resentful at his mother and family for losing the wealth okay wow perhaps yeah you might be right he thought bitterly of the house that had been lost for him for him that's important right Ooh. yeah he's lost his inheritance there so that's, that's and he, of course he might have thought that he was entitled to it right because right. you know he has these conceptions about family heritage as well he's just not revealing them until the end of the story wow huh. I never thought of it that way. That means Julian is a deeply closeted racist. Yeah, that's, yeah. He's yeah. actually way worse in a way. And so let me also give you this, because um, this is one of the notes that I had written um, at about page six, bottom of page six into page seven. He talks about all of the times that he acts on his own, where he has tried to interact with the black characters, but he... It specifically says he had never been successful at making any Negro friends. And I wrote a big star there and I wrote because his fucking motives are wrong. Yeah. Um, and so it goes on to talk about him picking out the professors or the lawyers or the ministers or the ones with the nice watches. Yeah. And he's targeting these people to to become, you know, Prop, he identifies them. Through. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, in a way. This is a much more subtle and kind of below the surface kind of discrimination. It's much more covert, but it's equally, if not more sinister than the kind of um, overt, outward facing racism that mm -hmm. his mother, um, yeah. his mother has. That's even worse, actually, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. And I've actually heard this. Sorry to interrupt. I've heard this specifically be said that uh, 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 at least you know, again, one or two anecdotes, but the, it's actually preferable to know up front that someone's just going to be racist outwardly towards you as opposed to the more covert, sinister style that Julian um, expresses. Right. Yeah. It's it, it's like uh, his mother is more sincere and upfront about the racism, but his motives are more kind of hidden and and you just don't know why he's doing this at all, which makes it even more scarier. Mm -hmm. right? And yeah. you can also understand why and where the mother's racism arises from. Whereas because, you know, she lives in the old time, things were a certain way. She's older. She has these essentialist ideas. Um, so, of course, we can understand how the way she behaves is informed by her upbringing and the way that uh, she was taught. Whereas with Julian, he's the one who's got the fucking big brain. He's the educated one. Yet he is now engaging in this this very gross behavior. So, yeah, I don't know. Personally, I thought that Julian was was a despicable yeah. character. What else can we really talk about? Uh, let's talk about the ending. I, I didn't know what kind of conclusions to draw about the ending. I think he realizes how, like, this is kind of a service analysis, but he almost realizes how petty his whole lesson teaching was, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think, I think if you have the wrong motives, of course, you're going to have the wrong kind of outcomes as well, right? This is a... I don't know. He's totally. Do you think that he does a full 180? Do you think that he regrets what he does? Because he goes from being super resentful. He finally is happy that his mother has got her just desserts. But then when he actually sees his mother, 
which in my opinion, he's completely obsessed with, uh, even though in his little mind monologue, he talks about how he's completely objective from here, from her and has completely removed her and he dominates his mother. Again, I wrote a note like, no, 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 his mother dominates him, right? I think that when he finally sees his mother and she doesn't see him, that's when he reaches his breaking point. Yeah, I'm not sure what else to add. I, the, the ending was kind of abrupt. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of when the mother says, tell grandpa to come get me, tell Caroline to come get me? And Caroline was the black nurse. Right. I, I think the mother has definitely experienced some sort of regression at that moment. She's like so disoriented and the world is like she, she doesn't know the world anymore. And so she has to regress to her you know, safe space where she, she can get a bearing, get a grip of her own reality. That's my reading. Yeah, I would agree. Like you said, Oliver, earlier, like the whole the bottom rung has been thrown to the top. Like everything has been turned upside down for her. Um, and maybe she was kind of in denial about it before, uh, but maybe this was her realization. But yeah, so as for Julian, though, I really don't know what to take out of his ending. Where does he go from here? Has he had any sort of change of heart or is he only expressing this kind of pathetic, you know, sadness because he's lost his mom or has he actually learned any sort of lesson here? I think I agree with the first point you made. He didn't really learn his lesson. I don't think. Yeah. I I think I would agree too because he shows no sort of regrets other. He he shows like basically no regrets over his own behavior. He's just quite sad and, you know, uh, uh, melodramatic about his mom not recognizing him and walking away from him. So maybe he is, is I don't know, I don't know. Gordon, what do you think? Yeah, I, I cannot help but draw a parallel with what's happening at the moment with social justice warriors in the radical left. <laughs> it is like when you have so much, like even if you have the right reason, to oppose some sort of mainstream thought, but your method of dealing with it, with resistance, your method of resistance with combating this mainstream thought has become so toxic that in the end, it yields nothing but destruction and despair. And I think (laughs) Julian is having this moment where he sort of, maybe he, he still hasn't got the lesson yet, but he realized the consequences of his action or, but what he did, and like Oliver said, it's like, oh, in the end, this lesson, like, well, what does it mean? You know, <laughs> when it, 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 he only saw his mother just just being so disoriented. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great point. I think that your methods and your intentions have to be have to be good, right? And I think we've pointed out through this discussion that neither of those things for Julian were in the right place. So it's no wonder that the story ends on a bad note for him. Um, Also, it's a kind of uh, realization of this uh, university graduate who thinks he has this huge brain and, you know, this top-rate education and thinks he knows the answers to the world. This is the first time where he's, you know, been confronted with a real-world example of you know, maybe not. Maybe your fucking methods are wrong. Maybe you need to totally reevaluate the attitudes and uh, behaviors that you're making because you don't you don't know it all. And so he, this is a kind of point of complete disillusionment for him. And for me, it was sweet satisfaction to see him experience this because the whole way through the story was like, dude, you're 
just going overboard. You're, yeah, yeah, you're an idiot, right? Like, so for me, the the ending was pleasurable in a kind of sinister way, where I get to see this character that I really don't like, kind of, you know, get shit on at the end. But again, uh, am I falling into the same kind of trap that Julian is? Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. So, uh, so I'm really, I'm really not sure about that. Maybe that tells me something about myself too. But um, anyways. Yeah, no fucking psychoanalyzing of myself. Go on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know anything else, Oliver. Like, I was just thinking, like, maybe like talking about race or dealing with the racial issues is just super uncomfortable for Julian. And because um, throughout the st- like in the beginning, when she's kind of going on her racial tyrant, like a racist tyrant, um, he tells her to shut up and like, like stop talking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Is he is he telling her to shut up? because he's he doesn't want to he's afraid to confront the issue of race or because he's just so sick of hearing his mom's opinions on it he just can't convince her the other way i'm really not sure because Mm -hmm. um he seems to be quite interested in engaging with the racial issues when it comes to you know acting around the black people and getting them to sit with him and you know watching having his mother see him interact with the black people um but again so or does that come back to your point where He's just using them as props, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Because he's not really dealing with the racial issues. Like Gordon said, he just wants to be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have nothing else to add about the ending. My notes are exhausted. Gordon, do you have any other other thoughts? Okay. The thing I wanted to talk about was uh, from Stuart Hall. Because, you know, Stuart Hall, he's black and he wrote a lot about his own experience as a black person. And uh, there was this quite profound text he wrote on globalization. And in globalization, people have this kind of identity crisis, right? Because, okay, what, what is a nation and what is ethnicity? And so when he writes about identity, he said identity is essentially about splitting. The splitting of uh, between self and other. And so he has this direct quote and he said the the attempt to expel the other into the other side of the universe is compounded by relationships of love and desire so while i was reading this story i keep thinking about okay what's the relationship of love and desire between julian and his mother and also julian and and himself so this maybe has something to do with uh, what i said about narcissism earlier because uh, this story is written in the uh, 50, 56 and civil rights movement is kind of uh, uh, reaching its zenith. And uh, only two years later, uh, it, the, the civil rights law was uh, imposed, right? So it, it is a new age for them and everyone's trying to find a sense of themselves. And for Julian, he do so by proving himself better intellectually or morally than the previous generation and hence the narcissism comes in this is all i got right okay so how would you connect because i actually agree with you right each individual with these new changes has their own coping mechanisms it seems as if you're right about julian um at least in my reading the mother she doesn't really have one yet she's merely in denial um and kind of revolting against the changes Um, maybe after this short story event she will come to some sort of you know reawakening and she will turn to something else but what about the love and desire part of it how would you fit that in 
Well, I don't, I don't have anything at the moment. Oliver, what do you got? Hmm. I'm thinking here. So how does that theory work again exactly? Sorry to make you repeat yourself. Oh, no, no, that's fine, definitely. Uh, that was very interesting, go on. Yeah, it, it was about, okay, so how do you distinguish the self and other? And, and, and I, I guess his statement was the general rule of thumb that love and desire is, is kind of some, some factor that de determine the line, the border between self and other. Like, uh, like what I mentioned before about the phobogenic object, if something that induces fear and uh, displeasure, then that is automatically, you want to avoid it, right? You want to push it aside and, and, and kind of cast it out mm -hmm. as the other. Coordinate okay. off, put borders around it, you know, yeah, distinguish exactly. oneself from the object itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, it, and it's quite psychoanalytic too. It's almost like uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud's will to pleasure. Like you want everything to be pleasurable. So you kind of keep things that you love around you and, and, and kind of put a border around it and, and say, oh, this is myself, my kingdom, kind of. Right. So, so um, maybe like you said, the phobogenic object is key to distinguishing what is the in-group, what is the out-group. Um, and mm -hmm. in determining that, you are relying on um, things such as fear. Um, whereas when you are solidifying the kind of in-group relationships or you're determining what is in the in-group and what is tying them together, maybe then you're leaning on things such as uh, love and desire. Would you agree with that or no? Yes, definitely. And so these things are kind of in a kind of uh, relationship with each other that are they're also opposed to each other. I think both because it, it really depends on the discourses that surround certain objects. It is like, okay, let, let me give you an, an example. Like uh, what, one of the reasons why black racism exists is because these myths that circulates in, in the cities about how, oh, you know, these black men are very sexually, have, have this sexual prowess. And mm -hmm. uh, Fanon talked about at the time, white women had this sexual anxiety with about the sexual prowess of black men and they feel like oh they, they they might be raped or sexually violated in a way which and this thinking this narrative induces stress right and this is how it made you know the the black penis or just black men in general become like a phobogenic object right so i can also kind of second the, what you said, because in my history of epidemics, no, actually, no, this was a crime in North America history class, my mistake, to make cocaine illegal in the United States, they leaned on this same kind of uh, narrative and this same kind of caricature of the overly sexed and overly aggressive black male predator and them going around on cocaine raping and you know harassing the innocent white woman so uh, again these kinds of narratives these kinds of uh, objectification of people can actually just to continue the point they can continue and have real world implications on uh, social policy and um, things like that 
So let how do we tie this into the story, though? Or how were you trying to tie this into the story? I think that maybe not specifically the overly sexed black man, but at least the way that the black people are are turned into these kind of caricatures and as something to be feared, as turning the human being into that kind of phobogenic object where there needs to be borders and there needs to be an outgroup um, that is clearly defined that should be feared. That kind of broadly might fit into you know, just the society at the time and why the mother has these kinds of preconceived notions mm -hmm. about the black people and why she acts in this way, because she has been conditioned by the cultural narratives around her to make her think as if these black people are embodying and are, are embodying and evoking the emotions uh, uh, that are associated with the phobogenic object. And when you turn a human being into phobogenic object right. that would be what i would say and plus two when when the uh, the black mother comes onto the bus there's a huge paragraph like describing the way she looks and the don't tamper with me you know her bulging figure so i guess that kind of relates to what you're saying yeah and even i got the sense i could be wrong that this was uh, a Julian description of her, not yeah. another description. So again, like uh, uh, Julian and his big brain um, still falls prey to these cultural narratives because just look at the adjectives that he uses to describe her as well. Ah, interesting. So, so at the most grand level, looking at this short story, it is it it, it is quite objective. I think it, it ultimately has a really neutral stance, but. In a way, it can still kind of display all these subtleties and um, th these subtle relations that uh, these characters have with black people. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it shows different degrees and different manifestations of the same thing. That is the attitudes that people uh, take towards uh, black pe people and the other more generally. Um, and these things can both arise um, from within the kind of individual, and also they can arise due to things like uh, uh, cultural um, um, environments and societal norms as well. Um, so again, it, it does take that kind of objective stance that, you know, even though there are degrees of uh, despicability on the individual level, um, not, none of the characters escape the social context that they exist within either. I think we uh, squeezed a lot out of this one. Yeah, more than I thought. A lot more than I thought. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, 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 I don't know. How did you? How did you enjoy it? Just as a short story itself, it's pure enjoyment, pure leisure. Um, hmm. Personally, I, I like didn't enjoy the story that much on a kind yeah. of reading level. I didn't find the writing particularly interesting. Um, it wasn't really until I sat down with a pen and paper, I took some yeah. notes, and then engaged in this discussion that I. I feel like uh, that's started to enjoy it. That's the case with. Flannery O'Connor. It's like on your first pass, it's kind of it's might not be as fun, but then there's a lot of like hidden gems that she kind of puts in her writing. I think. Yeah, there's certainly some some substance too. Like uh, again, at first glance, the writing is not particularly flowery or you know literary, but um, yeah, that once you drill down on it, there's some stuff to be had there. Yeah, and definitely in my first read through, I I ca did not catch at all that Julian was a racist until you guys brought it up 
I feel like I was enlightened. Like I, I didn't see that at all. But maybe it takes a couple more readings to actually get that layer of meaning. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what the podcast. That's what the discussion's for, right? That's the, um, we all we all came to new revelations. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's but great. yeah, yeah. Well, well done. I mean, uh, if you guys have any final closing thoughts, uh, feel free to chime in. But you know, again, this was a fucking great a great session. Anyways, yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining, Gordon. Um, yeah. This is fucking awesome. No, Hopefully, we'll do it at a more sure. realistic time uh, next okay. time. But uh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. That's all I got, boys.